0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Moab is among many towns, especially in the West, but all over the U.S., debating whether city tap water should be used for oil and gas drilling. John Kovash, recently reporting on the issue for UPR, says that Moab has seen a drilling boom in the last two years. Many more wells are planned, and uh, that's creating uh, new traffic on highways, but especially uh, concern about water. Uh, and uh, city manager says that... Uh, the amount of water right now uh, isn't all that uh, big in the scheme of things, but there are concerns. Haler uh, Shadi from the Moab City Council fears that uh, that could change sooner than the city imagined, especially if uh, those companies go to fracking, which uh, ramps up water use. And she would like to see a, uh, a cap. In fact, a new rule, no culinary water for oil and gas development. We're going to explore these issues of water and oil. On the program today, and of course there are many areas around Utah which uh, are seeing oil and gas development, we want to uh, get your feelings on these issues. We're going to begin with John Kovash's uh, report. You may have heard this, and if you haven't, uh, here's a chance for you to hear this, uh, his report on these issues from Moab.
1: Due to citizen complaints, Hala Ershadi, a member of the Moab City Council, became aware that Moab's two public water systems have been selling millions of gallons of culinary water to operators of oil field tanker trucks.
2: Someone noticed the number of large trucks that were traveling down 500 west from a, a city operated station where there's a filling station and lots of trucks driving through this residential area. The concerns that I've heard residents raise is that it's too many trucks and that they drive quickly and recklessly down residential roads.
1: Moab has seen a drilling boom in the last two years and many more wells are planned. The water trucks along with tandem dump trucks full of drilling sand are also creating dramatic new traffic on local highways that access canyon lands. Moab is just one of scores of towns across the West where city water is being sold for industrial uses, including drilling and fracking. The driller of nine active oil and gas wells near Island in the Sky says the wells are not being fracked, saving water, but Erishadi fears that could change sooner than the city has imagined.
2: If Moab grows the way that we're planning and if oil and gas developments grow, it does look like there could be a conflict in the future Uh, where there wouldn't be enough water available for local businesses. There's been talk of putting a cap on the amount that's sold to oil and gas or any business that is not operating in Moab. I would like to see the cap set at no water, no culinary water for oil and gas development.
1: That opinion is shared by members of the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, the Sierra Club, and many towns elsewhere that are considering bans. In New York, a local village persuaded the courts to annul a bulk contract with an oil field water supplier in Aurora, Colorado. Some citizens want to do the same. While 90% of household water ends up back in the river, oil field water after use has to be hauled away. Shadi doesn't like exporting Moab water from the system.
2: It's not in our, in our general plan to sell water that's going to be taken away from the area. It's also, it's culinary water. We're going into a time where we need to be increasingly protective of our water supplies. I mean, we're forecasted to have increasingly dry conditions from here on out. We very much need a drought management plan. There's not anything currently saying if we are in a a time of very high water stress, what will get cut first.
1: A widely quoted new study states that since 2011, three-fourths of new oil and gas wells in the U.S. have been in areas where water is already scarce and small rural counties are being affected the most. Donna Metzler is Moab's city manager. Metzler says the amount of water the town sells to drillers is not a big hit on the water system.
3: As far as trucking companies that purchase water from the city, we have, I'll say, a dozen. I don't know exactly where they take the water. I don't know exactly what they're using it for. It's a lot for a trucking company who's driving into our city shop and purchasing water, but it's not a lot of water in the scheme of things. Uh, You would expect a small motel to use about that much water.
1: Utah doesn't keep track of how much water is used for oil and gas drilling, but some states are starting to, including Texas and Nebraska. Meanwhile, Metzler says Moab is in contact with local drillers about their future plans and hoping for more cooperation with federal agencies.
3: We want to be in better contact with, for example, the BLM. So when they get uh, when they have a, an environmental assessment uh, done for a project, and it it calls for using city water, we want to be notified so that we can communicate with these companies and determine if that's something we can actually do.
1: Some opponents argue that municipal water is a relative bargain for drillers and doesn't encourage them to find brackish water sources. Metzler says Moab is looking at a number of options.
3: The rate that we charge to trucking companies is considerably higher than what we charge on a on a per gallon basis for a residential user. But I will say that City of Moab rates, water rates across the board, are quite low. So as we get more information, and if we see that um, there are plans to use more city water, uh, I think we'll need to give serious consideration to that. What would be a, a, a cap?
1: Metzler says the city is asking the water truckers to change their route to avoid disturbing neighborhoods. Nearby in Blanding, residents face a similar issue in the midst of drought and dire uncertainty over the city's deep wells. Blanding has been supplying culinary water to the White Mesa uranium mill. Officials there say that practice might have to end soon. Reporting from Moab, this is John
0: Kovosh for UPR News. And you're listening to AXIS Utah. I'm Tom Williams. That gives you a good overview of the situation in Moab. And as John reported there, the uh, Moab is a representative of many towns uh, across the U.S., especially in the West, who are dealing with issues, uh, uh, myriad issues uh, with oil and gas development. And water is a very important one of those. We're going to be discussing this, issues of water and oil, on the program today, the phone lines are open. You can reach us, hope that you will, with your perspective at 1-800-826-1495, one 826 1495 You can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page and by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, Upraccess at gmail.com. We welcome in Hala Ershadi from the Moab City Council. You heard her on John Kovash's report. Welcome to the program.
1: Hi, it's great to
0: be here. Good to have you with us. Uh, Celia Alario, who is a Moab resident, joins us as well. Thanks for joining us. Oh,
4: thank you for having us.
0: John Weisheit from Living Rivers uh, joins us. Thank you.
5: Yes, glad
6: to be here this morning.
0: And Bill Love, a water expert, uh, joins us. Thanks for for being with us.
6: Yes, I'm on the line.
0: Uh, let me start with you, Bill Love. Um, it, it, hope you're up on on this. Uh, where does Moab? Uh, get its drinking water?
6: Uh, We have uh, a very large amount of paper water from the state and water rights. The problem is we have no idea what's in the aquifer. Our water comes off the LaSalle Mountains, flows down through sandstone. Uh, We've never had a study to uh, show us how much water is in it, but there is one thing we do know. We do know there is not enough water to flow from the aquifer Five miles to the Colorado River, there is zero water reaching the Colorado River from our aquifer. We don't know if it's going somewhere else, and we don't know if we are using it all. But as an indication, we really should be very concerned about how
0: much water we're using. Hmm. Hala Ershadi, in the, in the Peace Johns piece, you express a concern. Moab is growing, uh, increasing drought conditions. Uh, the city is going to need increased uh, supplies of water.
7: Yes. I mean, it's a concern. We're not in any immediate crisis, but I think we should be looking ahead and that we should be taking a precautionary mindset for protecting our water. Um, Getting the study, like Bill Love mentioned, we don't have a comprehensive aquifer study, and it's very hard for us to make informed decisions without a total holistic understanding of what our water situation is. So until we get that study, I think we need to be especially careful.
0: Uh, John Weisheit, let me bring you in, at Living Rivers, um, the, we heard in John's piece there, the, the city manager says right now, the, the you know the fraction, the, the portion of the culinary water going to oil and gas development is, is not large. I think she mentioned it's, it's about the portion that would be taken by a small motel. What, what are your concerns here?
5: Good morning. Um, I am calling from Phoenix, Arizona on a cell phone. I'm hoping I'm coming through okay.
0: Yes, you're sounding great.
5: Great. Well, our concern is basically what John Wesley Powell told us over 130 years ago, that um, the Colorado Plateau and the Colorado River has limits. And as if you read the newspaper, the Colorado River is international news almost every single day because our water supplies are dwindling, our reservoirs are decreasing, and it's quite possible that hydropower is going to stop at various reservoirs like Glen Canyon Dam and Hoover Dam. So the the problem is, as Bill mentioned, is we uh, need a good assessment of what our water is. Uh, the Bureau of Reclamation has been studying the basin at large, but out, that what is not included is small communities like ourselves. And in a way, our system is very much like the Colorado River. It starts in a high mountain. It flows to uh, the Colorado River and um, we're having um, serious limits in our capacity. Our our carrying capacity is almost overextended. For example, there were curtailments last year for surface water in Grand County. And, unfortunately, groundwater is something we can't see and, unfortunately, it's not being measured. And so it doesn't make sense to allow this um, huge amount of water to be extracted without really knowing and understanding the resource.
0: Uh, so let me follow up uh, here. Uh, the, um, the right now, the the oil and gas companies around Moab are not fracking. Um, I guess that's a potential, and, and that would dramatically increase the the water use. I'm now not sure. Do, do we have? Yeah. Yes. Water
6: is being used by the oil and gas. Companies. Yes. Go
0: ahead. Yeah.
6: Yeah we have a BLM environmental analysis for our oil wells, they are projecting that they will build 49 oil wells in the next 15 years. That is 75 acre feet of water or 24 million gallons. To people's perspective, that's about enough water in Moab for 300 homes. So what we're looking at is a very small uh, beginning Of what's going to happen to our municipal water and the city i think is somewhat underplaying what's going to happen we are very concerned about fracking is not being done currently in grand county but it is being done south of us by about 8 10 15 miles and we're currently trying to find out if our water is going down to the south and we're seeing trucks going south Hmm. so there is a double concern here of huge expansion of the wells we currently have, we would take up to the number of 300 homes of water and additional water going south for fracking.
0: What, uh, what are they, where are they getting the water right now? It's, it's only, I, you know, I imagine they're getting water from somewhere else, it's, it's not all from culinary water. Uh,
6: the wells are currently getting water from our uh, municipality. The one south, I currently have a FOIA into the BLM asking them to supply me with the uh, sources of water. We're just seeing trucks going south at this moment. We don't know where they're going, but we'll probably know in the future. Mm -hmm. I say we are on the tip of an iceberg. Uh, The American Potash Company is using about 3.6 million gallons for exploration currently. Uh, If they ever want to go into production, they will need billions, millions, nobody knows, uh, gallons of water for production. That would t- to definitely destroy any aquifer we have here if they ever decide to try to use municipality water. It's an explosion on our water and a boom on our water that's really dangerous in the future.
0: We're talking with uh, Bill Love, a water expert. You heard him right there, Hila uh, Ershadi, who is a Moab City Council member. We'll, we'll be talking with Celia Alario, who's a Moab resident, and John Weisheit from the Living Rivers, uh, who's in uh, Phoenix. for is, is this a water conference here you're, you're at, uh, John Weisheit?
5: Yes, it is. It's a conference about operations of Glen Canyon Dam. I hope to learn more about the future by attending this meeting.
0: All right. And and you can be with us till about 930 because you have to go to the conference. We appreciate that. We're going to take a brief break. We'll we'll come back um, and uh, talk about uh, Moab. They're debating whether city tap water should be used for oil and gas drilling. And Bill Love has told us that uh, he thinks this is just the tip of the iceberg. Oil and gas development will be ramping up. There will be competition for the water. And, of course, Moab City needs the water as well. What should the rule be? Uh, We'll ask you that question and our panel that question as well. Moab is representative of many uh, towns and communities across the U.S., especially in the West, uh, for whom this will be an increasing concern. I'd love to get your uh, perspective, perhaps if you're in the Yona Basin or uh, some other area in Utah where you have oil and gas development and uh, perhaps the competition with water is an increasing concern for you. What should be done? Uh, The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page, or you can email us to upraxis at gmail.com. More following break.
3: Waste not. A small drip leak on a faucet leaks up to 15 gallons per day. That's 450 per month, so make sure to check your faucets regularly. Another tip, turn off the water while brushing your teeth and save 25 gallons a month.
0: Waste not is made possible by the Logan City Public Works Water Conservation Department. Information at LoganUtah.org
8: slash Public Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, offering breakfast Monday through Saturday beginning at 7 a.m., featuring quiche, granola with layers of yogurt and fruit, or ciabatta fried egg bun with bacon, avocado, and provolone. Moab is one of many cities around the
0: U.S. debating whether city tap water should be used for oil and gas drilling. Uh, This illustrates a competition for water. Of course, water a big issue um, and has been for a long time. This is a new uh, wrinkle in the issue. Oil and gas development is water thirsty, and especially where there's fracking. It uses a lot of water. Uh, This water, I understand, uh, then has to be... uh, trucked away it can't be put back into the system and that there's an added complication Um, and so uh, we do need the energy of course many people would say we also need the water and we're talking specifically about tap water culinary water Uh, some of that in moab is used for oil and gas development and uh, what should the rules be we are uh, asking you that question, and the number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can email us to upraccess at gmail.com, or you can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. Hope that you'll give us your perspective. Uh, John Weisheit, let me go back to you first uh, here uh, in this next part of the program, because you have to leave us here uh, quickly. uh Maybe you can amplify on the, on the concerns Living Rivers uh, has. Where does this fit in terms of your your concerns about uh, Colorado River water and the water in, in that area? Do you think this is going to move to the top of the list, oil and gas development?
5: Well, it's just beginning. Um, for example, there will be other companies that will be wanting water, and that would be the potash development that's happening. It would also include... Um, tar sands and oil shell, even though that's a little bit more further removed from Moab, that water would have to come from either the White River or the Green River. And I should mention that the oil companies in the Uena Basin, there's there's uh stations at there's a bridge that crosses the Green River at U and there's a series of pumps that take water out of the green water that Green River that stores them in holding tanks and then the oil companies come and pick up that water and take them to the drill site. So it's not that uh, the oil companies don't have an alternative. They do. They could apply to the state engineer and get a temporary use permit to take water directly out of the Colorado River, but it's, it's more convenient for them to just roll into town and, and take our culinary water. So uh, as Donna Messler said, you know, right now it's not going to be a problem, but it's going to be a problem in the future, especially when these other companies uh, finish their application process and actually start putting water to projects. Um, So um, it's it's not a problem that's going to go away. It's going to get bigger, and all of our planners and managers need to prepare for that, and city councils and county councils need to decide how uh, our water will be used in the future. And hopefully they'll put the people first.
0: Let me bring in Celia Alario, a Moab resident. Uh, what are what are your concerns? What are you hearing?
4: Well, I really appreciate that we're starting this conversation. I mean, obviously, my initial concern was shock that um, this could happen without um, our our uh, city officials that are here to serve us and protect us from knowing what is happening. So, obviously, getting this information is really key. And I remember a an event at the library a number of years ago now where the um, USGS, uh, the geological folks, um, came and said that they were really excited to try to find out more about this information about what's in our aquifer uh, to, to map it and to look at it and that that was something that had been approved but that the funds had not been allocated so I think it's you know it's it's true that what we really need is the information so that we can make better decisions but I, I also feel like there's a sort of a, a, a larger ethical question here and if we're systems thinkers and we're really thinking about the big picture we really need to be um, including uh, you know some values in to the analysis here and you know all around the world people are doing what they call true cost accounting where you count in all the things that uh, are not usually factored in when we value our water, you know, and whether it's uh, the the value as uh, for our, our communities or value as um, being able to produce food for our neighbors, and you know, or when you look at what you were saying earlier, where this is not water that's going to go into the system and recharge, you know, and that water is valued when it when it goes into the system and recharges into the water supply. I mean, it's sold downstream and already paid for by some else and this is water that it's culinary. We can drink it, we can cook food with it, we can bathe our kids in it. And once it's used in this particular way, it doesn't recharge. It's unculinary. It's dirty. Game over. And to be making those kinds of decisions now just feels like it's at odds with who we are as, as Moabites and as Americans. You know, like we care about our kids. We care about the future. How can we be so Short-sighted that we would make a decision with water that's game over forever, and I feel like we're not. And that's what's excited about people who live in you know exciting about people who live in Moab is that we might actually be bold enough to choose different than a lot of communities in the arid West. Um, uh,
0: let me um, let John Weisheit have uh, a final word. I know you have to get going to your to your conference. Anything uh, you'd like to say Thank finally? You. Go ahead. Uh, uh, y- yes. Any anything you'd like to add before you, ha- if we head out?
5: Um, no, um, I just would like to thank everybody for participating in UPR, sharing, uh, being concerned, and and, sh- and sharing what a little town has uh, the big job that we have ahead of us.
0: <laughs> well, we appreciate uh, you joining us, John Weisheit from Living Rivers. Now, uh, thank you. Moves on to his conference there in in uh, Phoenix, and we are uh, still joined by Celia Lario, who's a Moab resident, uh, Hela Arshadi, Moab City Council member, and Bill Love, who is a water expert. Uh, the number to join us is 1 800 826 1495. We're having a few uh, phone problems, do be patient, or you can get through to us directly with email. Might be the best way right now at at gmail.com. Or if you uh, can connect up with us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page, uh, just to look for the uh, story, John Kovach's story. And there's a big water tanker uh, with Got Water on the side there. That's the photo. You can comment there, and we'll get your comment on the air. The uh, email is upraxis at gmail.com. Let me turn next to Haler uh, Shadi, Moab City Council member. Um, you heard Celia Lario t- talk about pricing of water, and you've mentioned, or the city manager, I think, in John's piece mentioned that there's a different price, there is a higher price for these companies to come in and get culinary water, but I believe you're in favor of putting a cap at zero, in other words, no culinary water for, uh, well, for these companies. I
7: think that's the ideal scenario. It's not really that easy because any, any decision to restrict who we sell the water to could potentially be considered legally arbitrary. So that's one reason to be hesitant. We want to make sure that we're going into this in a way that is fair and, and balanced and you know won't won't cause a problem. And right now it's not like has it's been said, it's it's not a huge amount of water in the big steam of I think that this is a great opportunity, and I'm really glad that Bill Love and other people have helped make this part of the public conversation. I really hope that it doesn't it doesn't remain just about the oil and gas companies, because this is an opportunity to have a conversation about the whole way that we use and manage our culinary water. There are a lot of a lot of uses for culinary water that. May be questionable if we stop and talk about them. I mean, for example, what do we think about using pristine water for waste disposal? And how about how are we using it in our landscaping? And I think we can um, look at the entire way that we use water to get a smart, holistic plan for the future.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a, a good idea. And, and again, a lot of uh, towns are grappling with this. Moab is. Uh, our representative for this discussion today, because uh, things are happening there in in Moab. Uh, and you can get through to us, so whether you live in Moab area or Yonah Basin or anywhere else, uh, we'd love to get your perspective, your question, your comment. Three ways to do that. Uh, one is to our email, upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. You can comment on our yeah, Utah hi. Public Radio Facebook page, or you can call 1-800-826-1495. Yes, I heard somebody want to, to chime in.
7: I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just want to say I've heard several people in this conversation and out of it express concern that the city didn't know what was happening, and I just want to explain that it really wasn't out of the ordinary. You know, trucks drive into the water fill-up station all the time, and it wasn't a case of, you know, negligence. It just really was a daily thing. But uh, when it was brought to the city's attention, you know, our city manager and other people took a hard look at, like, where... The water is going, and then started thinking about the implications for the future. So I am. It's definitely something that needed to happen, but I just want to reassure people that it wasn't a case of uh, you know negligence or anything like that. It was just hasn't gotten hadn't gotten big enough to really get on the radar until
9: now. Okay,
0: thank you. We do have uh, Mark in uh, Moab has a couple of questions. Uh, thanks for being patient, Mark. Go ahead with your questions.
9: Thank you. It's good to be on the show today. Uh, One question I had was for John, but maybe someone else can answer that. And that question is, with the the drought conditions in California and the water shortages going on downstream uh, on the Colorado River, is it actually a possibility that this will become more than a local issue, that it will actually be a, a, a southwest regional or national issue, and that politicians downstream from us will get involved wondering, why we're we're using so much much of our water for things like mineral extraction, and, and you know when they're when they're experiencing shortages. Uh, so, in other words, will political pressure from outside our area be brought to bear inside our area on how we're using our water?
0: I wonder, Bill Lavo. I wonder if you want to tackle that.
9: No, I
6: don't. That is John,
9: 100%. He <laughs> okay. is the man who works All on Can
0: right. so, I uh, make one comment? Uh, uh, yes, go ahead with your comment, and then we'll have uh, one of our other guests comment directly. Go ahead.
6: Okay, the, the uh, state of Utah, this is from John now, I'm using his words, has about uh, 250,000 acre-feet of unallocated water from the original compact to the Colorado River, and they are desperate to get this water allocated to a beneficial use, because they know that in the future, they will have to probably uh, renegotiate the compact. And if they don't have a water allocated to beneficial use, they will automatically probably lose it. Hmm. So there was a drive in Utah to allocate more and more water from the Colorado River, which is going to cause some problems in the future. Otherwise, any part of his other question really is John.
0: Uh, Celia Lario or Haley Arshada, you don't want to tackle the Mark's question?
4: Yeah, I mean, I'll just jump in and share You know, a few things that John um, usually says in his talks. He does talk about the fact that the Colorado River is highly over-allocated. Um, but one of the other things John talks about a lot is how um, antiquated our water and complex Water law is on the Colorado Plateau and in the arid west in general. And I think that that's something that also needs to be addressed. You know, one of the things that struck me when I moved to Moab, uh, eight or so years ago, I lived there in the early 90s and returned, you know, um, and noticed that there would be large, large amounts of, of water, culinary water, that was sort of running down the streets. So it was passing through people's water meters if it wasn't being used for ag agriculture or for farming it was going back um, down the down the street and I thought wow is this a water waste and John and others were explaining how important it is for water to go back out into the Matheson Preserve to meet the Colorado to go back into groundwater recharge and that there's actually a legal obligation to do that and so I think it it's it is absolutely possible that the 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 outside forces as um, drought increases are going to come to bear on us. And I think they will in the city market produce aisle within the next year because we're looking at crops in California where we get so much of our produce um, being, you know, affected by drought conditions now. So I think we're going to see it in all sorts of ways. And we really need to be mindful of it because we host 2 million people a year that come in as visitors. And um, to think about a small motel um, versus, uh, as as Donna Metzler was saying, a small motel's water use um, and the impact, the positive impact it has on our community and the fact that that water makes its way back into um, cleaning facilities and back into the water system versus this water that again once it's toxic one, it, it can't be um, reclaimed you know and and put back into the water supply in MIT for many years if at all especially um, based on the chemicals that the oil and gas industry uses so it's a, I think a really a really salient question and but again we also need to be sort of thinking about this from the big picture and be good water stewards. We can't think about Moab city limits because the water doesn't. You know, we need to be thinking about ourselves as neighbors in the context of a watershed and the whole plateau, and not just the people who live in Moab city limits.
0: We're talking about uh, oil and water, essentially. And, uh, you know, just like the actual substances, do they mix? Um, Of course, we need uh, energy, but uh, should, uh, the specific question is, uh, should uh, culinary water, tap water, be used for oil and gas drilling? Competing uses for water, and it's likely to become a bigger and bigger issue. This is being debated right now in Moab, and so we're using Moab to stand in, perhaps for your community. And uh, we'd love uh, for you to uh, give us your comments, your perspective. You can do that at 1-800-826-1495 or to our email, access at gmail.com or on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. Uh, Mark, I believe you had a second question.
9: Sure. This is, uh, this is for Hala, uh, since she's on the Moab City Council. And uh, for uh, disclosure purposes, I'll just mention that I am uh, with the Sierra Club here in Utah and one of our focuses this year is going to be to try to get the city of Moab to either put a cap or a moratorium on water sales to mineral extraction companies and she and Hayla has said that uh it's necessary for us to have a comprehensive water study done for our area and she seems to think that that's something that needs to be done first before we get into the the get to the point of uh trying to figure out what we're going to do with water sales and i'm just wondering uh since Everyone's making the case that uh, more and more water is going to be needed in the future as these um, oil wells come online and the permits are developed. And um, basically, what's wrong with having a moratorium right now while we're trying to get the water study done and while we know that there's going to be more and more demand for the water in the future?
0: Hey, Larry your your response. Uh,
7: Yes. My understanding is, from talking with a lot of people about this, is that a moratorium, there are people that that don't wanna go there right now because uh, it could possibly have a legal ramification. It could be considered discrimination because we do right now have a certain amount of water that is just for sale. Um, This is not my, you know, my my personal preference is that we would treat culinary water like the precious resource that it is and only use it for culinary purposes. but, you know, there's a lot of other things to consider. There's a lot of other players in this game. And I, I think that a cap is something that people are, are more comfortable with. But to have a long-range plan that we can say, this is what our plan for the water is, this is how we arrive at this decision, and it is clearly not discriminating against anybody, that's what we really need to be able to have a solid ground to stand on. Uh, we, we need a, a wider study for a lot of other reasons too, but as far as this issue goes, it so will really help us make a plan that we can back up and explain to people.
0: Okay. Mark, appreciate the, the questions.
9: Thank you. Thank you, Hala. Uh,
0: appreciate that. Thank um, you. Mark from uh, from Moab, uh, representing the Sierra Club there. Uh, and you can call as well 1 800 826 1495. 1 826 1495. Uh, you can reach us by email to upraxis at gmail.com. We do have an email here from Tricia. I'll get to that just following the break. Tricia, so I hope you'll be patient there, upraxis at gmail.com. And we have a uh, call that came in by telephone. The person didn't want to go on the on the line have a question about uh, water use uh, in fracking. Uh, so, uh, many issues still to discuss. We're discussing the, the main question, the debate's going on in Moab right now. Should city culinary water, tap water, be used for oil and gas drilling? Uh, some of that is going out to the oil and, and gas uh, companies. Uh, and uh, many um, towns across the West and across the U.S. are debating this very issue. This is another area where competition for water perhaps will become even more intense in the future. And we're talking about oil and water on the program today. You can reach us at 1-800-826-1495, at upraxis at gmail.com, and at our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. More following the break. Next time on Living on Earth... In the Philippines, children are helping extract
5: gold
1: using the toxic metal mercury.
5: Well, I talked to one boy who is 16 who was burning mercury. He's the one who told me that he had started at 8 years old. And he said no one had ever told him before that the mercury vapors were hazardous. The dangers of what's called compressor mining. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI.
8: Coming up next at 10 o'clock on Utah Public Radio... And programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Colligan Water of Cache Valley. Family owned and operated for more than 62 years, providing Colligan bottled water, salt delivery, or soft and conditioned water. Hey Colligan Man, service from the man in blue. Online at logan.colliganman.com. And by Green Valley Spa and Resort in St. George. Offering a poetry salon the fourth Thursday of every month. Featuring booked poets, singers, and songwriters. Details at greenvalleyspa.com.
0: It's oil and water on Access Utah today. I'm Tom Williams. We're looking at a question which is before Moab right now. Should city tap water be used for oil and gas drilling? Uh, Estimates are that uh, the already increased oil and gas development in the Moab area will will just uh, increase in the future. Uh, One of our guests said that uh, he believes this is just the the tip of the iceberg. That uh, perhaps describes where you live as well, if it's not Moab. And uh, so we're debating that specific question and then uh, radiating outward to uh, issues of water and oil and gas development. No fracking that we know about right in that area right now, uh, but if that were to happen, that would dramatically increase the need for water. Uh, and we, as we've heard early in the program, uh, Bill Love at least uh, believes there are other areas where the uh, these companies could get their water. They are right now using some, uh, paying for it at a higher price, uh, some culinary water from Moab. And so that's occasioned this question, should city tap water be used for oil and gas drilling? You're welcome to join this conversation. Hope that you will at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can use our email address. UPRaccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com, or you can uh, join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. Here is a question that came in, a, a comment question uh, came in on our uh, email. This is from Trisha, and the first question is addressed to uh, Bill Love, so uh, Bill will, will alert you to that. Uh, Tricia says... I appreciate this conversation and feel that it uh, it imperative that all citizens are informed about development in the area. A few questions and comments. Uh, first, she says, what makes Bill Love a water expert? I'd like to have a better understanding of his field of study and the title that he's uh, been given. So, Bill Love, she's looking for your bona fides.
6: Uh, I never have called myself a water expert. I have been involved in the water in Moab for over 15 years. I have probably read every report put out by the USGS state on our water uh, through the valley. Uh, I have looked at all the reports done by the Nature Conservancy. Uh, I never, never have a PhD. I listen to all the PhDs. Okay. They're very controversial in town. Yeah. Okay. There's no question about it, okay. but uh, when you called me an expert, I should have spoken immediately. Okay, Okay. and so that's... a an experienced uh, person who <laughs> does a lot of reading, and a lot of analysis, and has worked with a lot of very educated people
0: on this subject. Okay, and and uh, should make it clear that that's uh, that's UPR that uh, applied that uh, that title to you. So, uh, yep. Tricia, you can you can you can blame us for that, uh, but Bill is uh, very well read. Sounds like on on the issue. Uh, she says, secondly, her her second point from Tricia, I'm an environmental educator and have a tremendous love for the environment in which I live. However, I also have a deep understanding that all humans have a great impact uh, on that environment and that the extraction of natural resources is imperative to satisfy all our needs. Having oil and gas development not only provides industry for our valley, but hopefully it makes all of us conscious uh, of the resources in which uh, we are demanding.
6: Yes, yes, I like that question. Uh, We are not against production of oil and gas. We are not against the usage of it. We are against the air pollution from oil and gas we are against the uh, destruction of water tables for oil and gas we are against people losing their properties throughout the united states because fracking chemicals are coming up and destroying their drinking water and their houses so when people say you use oil and gas never feel guilty we are against some of the problems because the oil and gas industry does not take care in preventing these problems we are also for alternate energies moab here should have a solar panel on every house it would take a very small part of the billions of dollars of subsidies going to the oil and gas industry to go to us and we would be a very small part then of reducing consumption of gas by having solar panels but it wasn't is not happening
4: so I have very
6: strong feelings when people say, you use it, because it's, we're not against using it. We are trying to find alternatives for it, and we are trying to prevent some of the damage caused by it.
0: I wonder, uh, Celia Lario, I wonder if I get you to respond to this uh, question that Tricia raises. Yeah, we we, we, we I mean, use think, it, the, the oil.
4: I think that um, Tricia makes a couple of really interesting points. I mean, one is something that um, I'm pushing for and I'm going to continue to push for, which is that people who work in the city and and, and county and are advising our elected leaders need better training. Um, many of them do not have professional academic training uh, in water hydrology or um, you know systems ecosystems management, and they're not being afforded the opportunity for mid-career training to train them up, and they're probably not up on the, the, the latest and greatest leading-edge thinking on this, which is what we need to bring to the issue. But I think that there is a point that needs to be made, and I'm going to go ahead and make it, and we need to be asking a far more um, bold question here at all, which is should we be using drinkable water at all? to meet our energy demands when the use of that water means that it is permanently out of the mix, that we are talking about uh, a level of toxification of culinary water that is not reusable in the water system in our lifetime. And that's, you know, the interesting studies that I've been looking at over the last few years, I teach uh, in, in, in the winter times an environmental studies class at UC Santa Barbara, and I've been preparing my students to talk about the California drought and doing research. And what I've been finding is that we have, according to a lot of different studies, of the industries that are emerging around renewable energy, only about two to three years that we need to wait before a really interesting volume price performance thing kicks in. And suddenly, the cost and return of both solar and wind are going to outpace what we can get of using uh, permanently using and and toxifying our drinking water for the short-term turnaround on energy needs that can be met through oil and gas and so I think it's a really interesting thing to think that in three years the economics behind this, from a business perspective will be something that will turn people away from this kind of of energy decision we don't have long before the tables uh, may turn so I think it's it's really important to, to look at that and the last thing I'll say on this question you know, is that when there's a conversation from the industry about fracking, what they do is they try to normalize fracking, and they say, we've always fracked. We've fracked for hundreds of years. At the end of a life cycle of any natural gas or oil uh, drilling facility, we will be fracking. So it's important for you to know as a host that, yes, maybe it is true, and I I don't know for certain um, how far, how many miles from downtown Moab you have to go before you find a well that's being fracked. But the larger question is, you know, do we want to do this and actually impact our water um, forever in this way for a short-term gain to meet energy demand when we actually may not need to take that risk? And And just because everyone else is doing it, you know, my mom used to say, if your friends all jumped off the cliff, would you do the same? I mean, I think that's where we are, and we need to turn to our brothers and sisters in other communities in the Arid West and be brave enough to stand up to the permanent poisoning of our Drinking water and our farm water for short-term energy gain that we might not even meet, need to step to step, stem the gap between where we are now and the clean energy that's coming potentially in this few as two to three years as a viable market alternative.
0: I Wonder if we get your perspective, Heyler Shadi. Uh, if you take the pulse of the town, the area. Um, it, I'm
1: sorry.
0: Could you repeat that? Well, uh, take the pulse of, of the community uh, with regard to oil and uh, and gas uh, drilling uh, generally positive worried about it Uh, of course it does bring jobs uh but but as been pointed out there there's some problems come with it
7: yeah i would say that um people have the community as a whole has some some mixed feelings about the oil and gas industry and uh people have a lot of people do support want to support that industry they do bring economic benefit to our area and that's something that a lot of people you know this is a, a town that was uh, that profited, has profited greatly from extraction industries, and people are aware of, of what they bring. Uh, not, there aren't a great number of, of jobs right now, but what we do get is we get government revenue from the, the money gets paid into a pool for to go to communities that are impacted by oil and gas development, and we get a chunk of that money, and it's substantial. You know, we have a hospital that has benefited from it in a time of financial need. Um, it helps with our infrastructure. So there is that to consider. And uh, gosh, there's a lot that Celia said. Uh, Celia, I, I would like to ask you what you think, what training, which officials need. You made a, a statement about there not being enough professional development. And if if, if you have some specific ideas, I would I'd sure would love to hear it. Um, I want to go back to our entire way that we use energy and our entire way that we use water because really those are what we need to be looking at. There's no free energy lunch. You know, a lot of proponents of drilling will say, well, if it doesn't happen here, it's going to happen someplace else. And, like, what about that place? And while I don't I don't just go to the conclusion from there that we just need to drill, drill, drill here and just, you know, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying that is a good point. It will happen someplace else. We can talk about you know, solar panels, but that's, that's still, that's, you know, rare earth mineral mining under who knows what conditions. So what I'm saying is not that, like, we have to stop using all energy immediately. Obviously, that's not really usable, but that especially those of us who do see how important ecological health is, we've got to make this the focus of our lives. We're at a point in human history where it has to be our main focus is how are we going to have an economy that provides for people, provides for people's needs, and is a functional part of of our planet. Hmm.
0: Let me uh, get an email in here. Uh, This is from Bob in Castle Valley. He says it's uh, bad enough that water is exploited without a perspective of ecological carrying capacities, long-term planning, or the ecological needs of healthy watersheds. But we also must look at the implications beyond present water use. Moab is being rapidly industrialized without any forethought, planning, or public mandate. Clean air, clean water, quality of life, local economy, open space, and national park values and community sustainability are in question here. It is government's job to actively and creatively protect community health, safety, and welfare over uh, fearing uh, vague legal issues. That's from Bob in Casavalli. So he, he addresses this to government officials, and uh, Halo Shadi, you're, you're our government official yeah, he, on the panel. What are your responses?
7: Response? Yeah, I know it can look like growth is just happening. If you're looking at it from the outside and you're not participating in the county council meetings, the city council meetings, and the planning commission meetings, all of which deal with these issues, maybe it can seem like it's being industrialized with no foresight, But... Uh, I urge people who are concerned about that to get involved and go to the meetings it might not be the most exciting thing but that is where the decisions are made and yes I would love as a member of your government to say hey I'm gonna I'm gonna creatively uh, and effectively protect you but unfortunately like you're if you're really concerned about that you're gonna have to get very involved and get all of the people who are like-minded to get involved don't count on the government to do it okay please we need our government is driven by this uh, by citizens. We need you to help us steer where we want to go so that we can come up with those creative solutions to provide for people and take care of our
6: Earth.
0: Let me uh, just give – we're down to the last about three minutes. I'd like to give each of you just about a minute to, uh, to say any final word on this. Very interesting issues. This is not going to go away tomorrow. Uh, and a representative of uh, many areas around the West. So it's very interesting to talk to the people in Moab who are grappling with this. Let's start with Bill Love. What uh, what are your final perspectives? About a minute. Uh,
6: I'd like to speak on why we should have immediate moratorium. Our aquifer is sandstone. If you dry out sandstone and what they call mine the aquifer, there's a very good chance the sandstone will harden and never hold or transport water again. It is a Danger that is known to be existing in our aquifer and other sandstone aquifers. We don't know where we are on our flow of aquifer. This additional little minuscule amount of of water we're talking about may be enough to push us where we will start mining uh, the aquifer. And if we do, it's deadly. We will lose or have a very high chance of losing our aquifer completely if it happens. We need a moratorium today.
0: Celia Lario, your your final word on this, uh, about a minute.
7: I'm looking forward
4: to uh, you know continuing conversations. Thank you so much for for being a great host. And I think that you know this it's about synergy and collaboration and how we find a way forward that's really unconventional thinking and that we're brave enough to think about um, a, a new economy. I think it's great that Halo is bringing that up. And people talk about the triple block, bottom line: people, planet, profit. But I think a great place to start is to send some of our city officials to an upcoming conference that the Social Enterprise Alliance is doing because they're talking about something. Even Even deeper than that, which is an economy based on love. What would eco-equity look like? We haven't even talked about how uh, issues of climate justice or climate democracy today and how different folks who are poor folks, folks of color, folks who are disenfranchised, how these issues affect them differently. So what would not only a triple bottom line economy look like in Melab, but an economy based on love and that kind of unconventional thinking, bringing our values into the city council chamber, bringing our values and our hearts into these problems. I think is what we need. And this is a great
7: start.
0: And uh, Hala Shadi, Moab City Council, will give you the last word about a minute.
7: Thank you. To wrap it up, it's complicated. We are utterly dependent, all of us, on a system that requires the massive use of fossil fuels and is in the end going to be unsustainable. Yet we are still relying on it and we're trying to mitigate the damage. But what we really need to do is move away to an entirely new system. But will help us to do that and help to protect our desert home is to have a good understanding of, of our water system that also takes into account our ecological health and not just how we can grow. Uh, we also need we need community members who, who care to get really involved and we need entrepreneurs who are caring and daring enough to create the new economy that we need.
0: And we'll leave it there. Uh, Of course, the conversation will continue, I'm sure, in Moab, and it can continue here on Utah Public Radio. If you would like, just go to our website, where we'll have this program up on uh, the audio up uh, later today, uh, upr.org. You can also continue commenting at upraxcess at gmail.com and on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. Uh, We have had with us Halair Shadi, who is with the Moab City Council. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Moab resident Celia Lario, thank you. And uh, from uh, Mo- I think Moab resident uh, Bill Love, you're in. The- yes, you live there, Yes, for this uh, Yes, thank you so much. And we were joined earlier by John Weisheit from uh, Living Rivers. Thank you to everyone who responded, and uh, appreciate it. Uh, for producers uh, Katie Swain and Bennett Purser, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks so much for listening today. The Be Well Moment is made possible by
5: the
8: USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu/hr.
2: Sleep plays a vital role in good health and well-being throughout your life. Getting enough quality sleep at the right times can help protect your mental health, physical health, quality of life, and safety. During sleep, your body is working to support healthy brain function and maintain your physical health. The damage from sleep deficiency can occur in an instant, such as a car crash, or it can harm you over time. For example, ongoing sleep deficiency can raise your risk for some chronic health problems such as heart disease, kidney disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and stroke. To improve your sleep habits, try to be physically active every day. Go to bed and wake up at the same time every day and avoid caffeine later in the day. So here's to many long, good night's sleeps, and as a result, a safer, healthier, and more enjoyable life for you and your loved ones. This is Dana for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Be well,
8: Utah. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, KCEU 89.7 Price, and KUSU FM HD1 91.5 Logan.